Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Now, today we're talking about something that I don't use very often, and that is cosmetics. Now, there have been a couple of times, I will tell you, one of which happened to involve meeting my future mother-in-law, but we'll leave that story for another day. I am so honored to speak with none other than Mana Kadar. Now, if you're a subscriber to any of the major beauty boxes, my guess is that you'll be familiar with that name. Mana is the founder and CEO of Mana Kadar Beauty, which now has six different product lines and is sold internationally. With over 20 years in the beauty industry, Mana has created the Beauty Simplified System with a unique three-step process that minimizes makeup application to seven minutes or less. Among many other philanthropic endeavors, Mana is also a member of Gen Next, an invitation-only organization of successful individuals dedicated to learning about and becoming engaged with the most pressing challenges facing future generations. And we talk a bit about that toward the end of our conversation. Now, in this episode, you're going to learn how Mana bought a beauty supply store while she was still in high school, how she opened up seven retail stores in six years before selling the chain, and the inspiring journey of building Mana Kadar Beauty into an international beauty brand. All right, let's jump into my conversation with Mana Kadar. So, Mana, thank you so much for taking time to hang today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to being on your podcast. I want to know, when did you first discover makeup and beauty products, whether it was as a kid or a young person? Take me back to that time. Yeah, so it's a pretty funny story. My mom is um, actually pretty (laughs) anti-makeup. And so um, I discovered makeup at a pretty early age, and I was always interested in it, more so, I think, because it was it was such a no-no. Sure. So I likely discovered it probably in junior high and, you know, I would run to the uh, drugstore and buy all this makeup and then um, put it on on the way to school. My mom's friend used to drive us to school and then take it all off by the time I got home. So no it looked, I looked the same. <laughs> I don't know if my mom knows this to this day, but I guess now, now she does. <laughs> So did you, you had your own money that she had given you for whatever reason or birthday money or who knows what, and then you just made it happen. Yeah, exactly. You know, it wasn't super expensive makeup. So, so nothing, you know, high end, just, just very inexpensive drugstore makeup. But that was, you know, that was what, where I kind of picked up the first few um, pieces and really started the foundation of, of where I am today. And when did you start to wear makeup? you know, out in the open, like where she was, you know, she would see you and that was okay. Where it was finally acceptable. I remember doing this song and dance with, with makeup and taking it on and off until high school. And I think finally, I think I was like 16 or something. And I think finally I was like, okay, look, this this is, this is what it's going to (laughs) be. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to work with it. And she was okay with it, you know? So, um, so fortunately she was more open-minded by that point in time. Man, that is a lot of behind-the-scenes makeup action happening right there. That's, yeah. that's pretty funny. <laughs> I, was, I was committed. I was really committed to my look. That's great. How would you describe your look back then? It was bad. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. I look back at, you know, the um, pictures. It, it, you know, it was trendy for, for what it was back in the day. But, you know, this is circa 1996. 
Um, and back then we had dark lip liner, dark lips, mm. um, you know, big bangs, lots of hairspray. So oh, yeah. yeah. So think like Paul Abdul kind of like that kind of, that kind of look, um, but with just really dark lipstick. So, so good. I just found a picture the other day and it, it, it was, it was, it was so bad. It was good. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> My wife, uh, we're, I'm probably a little bit older than you are. So she, we grew up in the late eighties, high school, graduated 89 for her 91 for me. So, I mean, she had massive hair, massive bangs. And, uh, I love those pictures. So, <laughs> that's what you fell in love with right it is it is kind of weird <laughs> I did fall in love with that and now you know I'm always she pulls her hair back because she's a kindergarten teacher gets it out of her face or whatever and then when she puts it down I'm like oh man you look so beautiful she, you always say that <laughs> wanting it down well um so <laughs> how did you then initially get involved in the makeup industry itself what, what was that timeline like well, you know, okay, so right around the same time, um, you know, in my in my late teens, um, I had an opportunity to purchase a retail cosmetic store um, at a local mall here in Orange County. And um, it was really just happenstance where um, I was working at an office where I inter- interacted with quite a few of the customers um, or clients, really, that called in. And you know, I really got to know one of the clients well, and you know, he had purchased this um, or built this cosmetic store for his wife, who okay. who really didn't even run it. So he did not want to run it himself, and he was looking for someone to take it over. And he did not know how young I was, and he, you know, again, late teens. And so um, he said, "Hey, you know, you seem like a bright person. Do you want to do you want to purchase the uh, cosmetic store?" So this is at the Brea Mall. I'm in the Nordstrom wing and this, and so I said, okay, like, you know, without knowing what I was really getting, getting into, um, I said, okay. So it was was basically, you know, all the money that I had saved from like Chinese new year and, and Christmases and birthdays and whatnot. And it was, it was, I would call it like an inventory or an asset sale, um, at the time. And, and you um, had a lease. There was a lease, obviously, on the store. And then your name went then on the lease, I assume. Right. And I actually don't know how that was done. Now, in retrospect, because, um, you know, I didn't have any credit cards at the time and um, probably very little credit. But yeah, I think I just assumed the lease rather than rather than um, embarking on a full lease. Actually, now, now that I think about it, that's likely how, how I girded the system. And how, how many years did you run that store? So this was the course of, uh, let's see, in six years, I grew, I, I took the first store, the profits from the first store rolled into the next location at the Mission Viejo Mall and so on and so forth. So by the time I was done with this whole adventure, um, it was seven stores in six years. That the chain grew to out of control. And were you, did you even graduate from high school before you started this? No, I didn't. So I had not graduated from high school yet. And I was, I was, you know, I, I was so young. I didn't really even recognize the, um, the risk that I was taking at the time. And that being said though, I was always a bit entrepreneurial. Like prior to this, you know, I had 
um, I don't know if people will remember this, but uh, Costco before it is Costco today was Price Club and they used to sell vending machines there. So, you know, I was with my mom and I said, oh, you know, I'm going to buy a vending machine and start with a little vending machine route. So I had to go to different businesses and propose my vending machine services. I even went to my mom's post office and one of the vending machines that I serviced was at her post office. There was another automotive place and so on. So I think I always had that entrepreneurial bug from a young age. And this was, this was just an opportunity to take it to that next level. That is unbelievable. I've never heard of such a thing. You've got six, six stores in seven years or seven stores in six years? Seven stores in six years. And then I was also... Um, what made what made it more challenging was I was also going to USC full time studying finance. So I would take all of my classes in the morning and then um, be done by eleven or twelve, and then you know rush out to to do my job, my real job, and um, you know just try to balance both school and the business at the same time. Sure. And were these all the same name business with the same brand? Yes. Yes. They're all, all called True Colors. True Colors. Okay. And what, what did you end up selling the business or what was the transition for you? Yeah, I ended up selling the business. Um, you know, it, in the retail space, if anyone's ever worked in retail, um, you would know it's very, very grueling. Um, it's about 362 days a year, uh, eight, between 80 and 90 hours a week. And, um, you know, you're, you're interfacing with, with the public and, and you're, pool of talent is a little bit challenging as far as like the employee pool. So all of those things combined just, just make it a very like rigorous um, business to, you know, to, to belong to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was really burnt out, but you know, with going to school full time and and opening all these stores and traveling from, you know, Orange County to Vegas um, on a regular basis, seven days a week, I didn't take any time off. Um, I was, I was pretty burnt out. So um, right before I graduated college, which was in 2002, I sold the, I sold the chain and this was right after nine 11. Mm. So there was, you know, a lot of, um, concern, you know, with the economy and people were just not spending, they weren't going out shopping mm-hmm. and you could really see the decline in, in, um, at least the consumer spending space where the malls were just completely empty. Mm-hmm. Um, completely empty. So while the books were good and the, the numbers were good, I thought, okay, this is a really good time <laughs> to get out of this. Um, and so I sold the chain. Okay. And then did you start Manicadar Beauty immediately or was there a delay or tell me about how did you parlay that, that experience in cosmetics into starting your own brand? You know, it's really interesting. So, so if you can imagine, I'm, I'm 21 at this time. And I have my, you know, shiny new finance degree. And I think, okay, what do I do now? I've only known um, running my own business for the last, you know, six years. So I I talked to one of my girlfriends that I went to college with. And she's like, well, you know, I'm going into this credit analyst program at a bank. Um, do you want to try to apply there? And I said, okay, sure. Um, without really knowing what a credit analyst was and what banking truly was beyond, you know, I thought of banking as here's a teller and here's your cash and you deposit your cash. But, you know, um, I applied for this credit analyst position in small um, in corporate banking and uh, I got the job. 
Hmm. And so, you know, before I knew it, I was, I was deep into um, corporate finance. And so I stayed in corporate banking for the next uh, four or five years, five or six years, actually. And, um, you know, it, it was such a great learning experience in that I really got to see the corporate structure um, and just really learn the the business side of things. Not mm-hmm. not like the owner side of things, like where you're in you're in it, you're working the business, but you know the business side of things where you're looking at financial statements and you understand what all of these numbers mean um, and how that really affects the business. So I really was able to see both sides of the coin. Um, both entrepreneurial side and then also, you know, the business side. So um, it was a little, it was a little um, different as far as what, what my comfort zone was in my ideal work environment. You know, I really enjoy a lot of autonomy. And um, so as, as great of a career as I built in corporate finance, I was just overdoing the, the spreadsheets and the reporting. And then it, it was a little bit stuffy of an environment too. Um, you know, you have to wear suits every day. And back in the days, they still wanted you to wear pantyhose, which I was like, <laughs> not about <laughs> for those reasons alone. I was, I needed to transition out. I really did need to transition out of there. So um, there was an opportunity to purchase uh, a tanning salon. And I, I thought, okay, well, you know, why don't I buy a business? And in my mind, I thought a tanning salon just operated itself. You know, you have a bunch of machines, you have a, uh, you have an associate up front checking people in, and that's it. And I could still do my job and um, operate this tanning salon. Well, little did I know, or maybe I had been out of the the entrepreneurial world for so long that you know nothing really runs itself, right? So you know, before you knew it, I had like two full time jobs again, and I really had to choose one. Um, was it the corporate banking job that was really comfortable and you know you have all these holidays off and and the, you know the the compensation was was really great or you know do i do i take on the challenge of of another business and and where i really felt i was gravitating more towards was the business it was fun i find i found it like a good challenge as far as you know really growing revenues and client acquisitions and all of that good stuff so I said goodbye to corporate banking and then hello to um, this new tanning salon that I purchased. Tanning salon. All right. So uh, do you uh, do you personally still tan, Nana? Well, here's the, the thing. I, I see where this is going. I see where this is going. <laughs> so so you, you have to remember this is in 2000. Uh, this is in 2000. Oh, don't, this is not, yeah, this is, come on, 10 years ago, like that made a difference, come on. It it really did. And well, here's what I was able to capitalize on. So, so going, going back to your question, you know, this is where um, people really started to be conscious of um, sun protection, um, you know, they had tanning is bad. Um, And so there was this whole new business opportunity in some of tanning. So um, spray tan booths, air, custom airbrushing. Mm-hmm. So that is really where I put the focus on for the business because at the time, um, tanning salons were really just old school, like 
kind of tacky, sold these bikinis and random tchotchkes. So what I did was I turned my tanning salon into like a spa experience where you walked in and it really felt like a high-end spa. So you can get your custom airbrush tanning there. There, Believe it or not, there was still a lot of people tanning at the time. But what differentiated my salon was I started to add other... um, services so like eyelash extensions at the time was very very new so i was one of the first that started to do eyelash extensions we did threading we did facials so we tried to make it as much of a one-stop shop um as possible so it was it was really cool i mean i was really able to to grow the business quite substantially um in a short amount of time and so i parlayed that into uh another purchase of uh, another tanning salon because I, I knew the model and I knew how to do it. Sure. So I wanted to expand on that. And I, you know, I found another salon to purchase. So take me to the point where you decided to begin to manufacture your own products. How did that conversation begin to happen? Well, it really started at the tanning salon. Um, we had a very large space in the lobby and I felt like it was not being utilized properly. Um, as far as, you know, I, I wanted to turn that square footage into revenue generating um, opportunities. So I decided to put um, kind of like a mini version of what I had in my cosmetic stores in the lobby. So you could go there for retail products and purchase skincare. You can purchase um, beauty accessories, eyelashes, et cetera. And there was an opportunity to put makeup there. And I, you know, I always wanted to start a makeup line, but I just never pulled the trigger on it. And for whatever reason, I felt I was compelled that this was this was the time to do it. I had the I had the retail space to feature the items, and um, so rather than putting someone else's brand there, you know, uh, I, I think a little bit I was a little naive, and I said, okay, well, why don't I just put my own brand there? And you know, uh, I didn't really think it through all the way as far as everything that would entail from that point thereafter. So, um, you know, I met with a PR company and they said, Oh, you know what? Well, for, for this really hefty retainer every month, we'll get you in all of these long lead magazines, which, you know, for, for people that, <laughs> uh, remember these, there are these paper things called magazines that you used to read and used to hold them and read the, read, actually read the paper. Um, and there were all of these placements that you had for products that beauty editors, um, would feature and focus on it and very, um, very established, very prestigious magazines. And that would drive consumers to purchase the products online. Mm-hmm. Well, at the time online was very new. And so he said, well, you know, we'll get all this placement for you and then everyone will just go to your website and I'll just buy. So I thought I had this thing figured out paying this guy, um, you know, pretty hefty PR dollars. And that was, that was my, my plan for success was just to hire the guy and he was going to do all the work. And, and then I would just be sipping like champagne on a yacht somewhere, but that did <laughs> not happen. <laughs> so, um, so, so really after I recognized that, you know, I would have to do <laughs> all mm-hmm. of the work uh, as far as building the brand, um, I had to, to, to work on the marketing message um, probably six or seven times before I got it right. Um, as far as figuring out what is going to resonate with the consumer, um, what 
what differentiates the product from other items, you know, why, why women would choose or men uh, would choose to purchase this brand of products over any other. What were some of the early, early efforts that you remembered in terms of that, that marketing or the communication that maybe just didn't resonate as well as you had hoped? You know, I think um, part of it was the, the, the packaging. Um, it was kind of just like very basic packaging, but the formulas within the, the packaging was very high end and very performance based. But you know, the outside packaging didn't really match or tell the story for what was really inside of the item. So we had to take a look at the packaging and make sure that it was a high end feel all the way around so that we can justify the price points, um, that we were asking, you know, consumers to pay, um, for the product. And then beyond that, I think there, there needed to be an education piece for the consumer. You know, if they picked up the product, they would understand what the brand was all about. And so that's where we came up with, we have a three-step process, um, it's called our beauty simplified process for all the items on the step one, a step two, or a step three on the item. So step one is prime, step two is polish, step three is perfect. Um, in those six years that I was in the retail space, you know, I had the great pleasure of, of just spending um, so much time with all of all of our customers that had come mm-hmm. to the door, and you know, really there there were there were a couple things that were always a common denominator. Like number one is everyone loves makeup. You know, they, they want to look and feel beautiful. Um, but number two, they, they just didn't really know how to do it. There was mm-hmm. always like a, like, you know, there, there was a, a problem they were trying to fix, whether it, you know, um, you know, under eye circles or, or a blemish or anti-aging or even just like down to like self-esteem. They just wanted something to have them feel better right. um, about themselves. So, so I, I took that into mind. And then the other thing was, you know, how, how many times have you heard someone say, you know, I just don't have the time to, to take care of myself. I, I don't have the time to put makeup on, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like they're not taking the time for themselves because they mm-hmm. feel like it takes too long. It's almost too daunting. Right. Right. So we really wanted to get this three-step process into, um, we call it like a seven-minute phase. So all of the items in the line are, are long wear, double duty, multifunctional. So for example, um, our lip product has a primer and a lip gloss and a lip stain that's built in. So it's three different products into one. Um, to, to break it down for, for you, David, <laughs> what that means for oh, you no. No, 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 your wife. I, <laughs> you I understand? No, no, no. I read up on Oh, good. Good, good. Yeah. Okay. The, the differentiating those? factor of the lip stain is very important to Manicadar Beauty. I've understood this. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, thank you for taking the time to do the research. But so, so for just, just in layman's terms, you know, really you, you apply the makeup once and you have very minimal, if any, touch up throughout the day. So we'll use lip, lip gloss again as an example. You put it on and you'll see women um, who are using other lip products. Here's a lip gloss again, an hour later, an hour later, an hour later. And it's, it's just, it's kind of a pain to, to continue to, to touch up all day long. So this lip product that I have, it keeps you moisturized and it stays on. And again, like very minimal reapplication so that you put your makeup on in seven minutes or less and then you're done. So, you know, we're, we're trying to give women that time back in their lives. Um, where they're not having to spend all of this time putting themselves together. 
And, you know, I think most women can, can carve out seven minutes to, to look and feel your best. Take me back to the manufacturing process. Did you just find a manufacturer? Like, you know what I mean? Like that feels so daunting. I know you had been in the industry so many years, but how, what was that process like for you? Well, first, um, I private labeled. So, so for those who don't know what private labeling is, um, it basically is using someone's formula and packaging initially to get some um, product out. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I did that was because the minimums to order were very low. So, for example, you can order one piece of something, six pieces of something, um, 12 pieces. So the financial investment was was minimal um, at the time. It was still significant, but minimized because a normal manufacturing run has a minimum order quantity of 5,000 units for one single item for one single shade. So as you can see, you know, you're kind of hedging your, your risk a little bit there. So that just got my feet wet into um, understanding formulations a little bit more, understanding what went on with this process, because my experience was only on the retail side, not on the manufacturing side, which is, in, which is an entirely different beast in and of itself. So um, I started out with private label. And from there... I started to gain more and more accounts and really the, the demand was, was there. So I switched over to doing my own manufacturing runs. Um, and that was pretty scary because, you know, you're, you're going from a one piece minimum to a 5,000 piece minimum per shade. So um, not only do you have... Deal. That is <laughs> yeah, I've done I've done some manufacturing myself in China, actually in plush toys and in uh, costumes, which is radically different, obviously, than than makeup. But did I mean were you involved, like in the you know QC process, or you're just trusting this person, this organization that you've outsourced it to? To like, were you, I would just be pulling my hair out. Oh my goodness. Well, I think again, it's one of those ignorance is, is bliss kind of things, and and. I think if you were to ask any business owner, um, you learn a lot of lessons the hard and expensive way. Mm-hmm. So, so some of this, um, some of these questions that you're asking, for example, like the QC part of it, I did not recognize or know all of the things that were required for QC. So I would think I I had things covered, and then something was was not recognized. I'll give you an example. So I have I have a a customer that was purchasing my product in um in France. And so I was like, okay, cool. Here's here's the product. The manufacturer knew that that these items needed to go to France. And this is this is ninety thousand units of an item. Well, it got stopped at the France uh, France customs because it wasn't number one EU certified. So any product that goes into Europe needs to have um needs to go through a certification process mm-hmm. to to get certified to go into Europe. And then number two, for products going to France, it needs to be translated into French. So I did not have either one of those items done. It's, it is really funny now, like looking in retrospect, or can you imagine getting that call saying, oh, you know, you're 90,000 units. Um, well, it does not, it's not compliant with, with uh, the standards and you're going to have to relabel and redo the entire batch. You know, so that that was quite that was quite a learning experience. But you know, that, that's an extreme. Um, 
sure. example of, of a learning lesson. We're going to charge you for storage fees until you come pick them up. <laughs> oh, sure. And then what do you do with the product then? You know, so you really, you know, entrepreneurship is so interesting because I, I always liken it to being the ultimate problem solver because you don't have um, a solution is never failing, right? Like that's not an option for you. So you have to figure out everything possible to, to succeed or to turn that obstacle into an opportunity or at least, you know, to, to neutralize it and have like, you know, a net positive or net neutral effect, right? Mm -hmm. So we're constantly problem solving on a daily basis. And that was just, you know, another example of like, here's a problem. Okay, let's, let's fix it. What do we need to do to fix it? There's always a solution. That's what I tell my kids. There's always a solution. There, is, there always is a solution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now you have six lines of beauty products. Is that, mm-hmm. is that correct? That is correct. Um, so we have two cosmetics brands. Uh, one is called Manicadar Cosmetics. The other is called Goddess Beauty. Um, then we have a uh, men's line called Mason Man, named after my son. And then we have a pet line called Hot Dog or Hot Dog. Um, we have a bath and body line. And then we have a maternity line. I know one of the ways that you've been marketing your products is through beauty boxes. Uh, why did you choose to go that route and how is that going for you? So beauty boxes kind of started gaining some momentum around the time I started my company uh, about 10 years ago. So. I first partnered with Birchbox and they were one of the first beauty boxes that were, were out, out there. It's not the, the first beauty box. I can't confirm that. Um, but we worked with beauty boxes early on because there's no better way to have a customer experience from um, a beauty perspective than to actually see, feel, touch, and experience the actual product itself. Sure. You know, um, if you look at even even online now, you know you can see a product online and there's reviews. It's great. It's not great. What have you? But if you have the product in your hand yourself, like you can see the texture, you you know how it applies on your skin. You can see if it works for you. And not only that, you're you're getting to the hands of beauty enthusiasts. I mean, anyone who pays a monthly subscription for beauty really has to love beauty. They're not just you know casual right. beauty lovers. So you have people that these eyeballs for, for very engaged, uh, very engaged audience. So rather than um, budgeting for, you know, more traditional marketing at the time, it was, you know, print ads or, and even today, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of different options, you know, SEO, um, you know, uh, social media type of type of, um, ad buys, we still find the best way to engage in an audience and to really get in front of these customers is through these beauty box subscription companies. Mm -hmm. And how many boxes are you or have you been in? We have been in probably all of the big ones. Um, For sure, we've been in all of the big ones, you know, Birch Box, Glossy Box, Ipsy, um, Fab Fit Fun. Boxy Charm, um, you name it. Uh, we, we've partnered with many of them. They, they, you know, they have such great business models, and all of them are very, very different sure. in how they reach their audience and who their audience actually is. It's, it's really interesting, just from a business perspective, to see how um, how that business has evolved. Because there, 
you know, it's become a very busy space. So again, it's, you know, much like my business, how do you differentiate yourself from the rest? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's, it's been a great partnership. We still continue to do very, very, very large campaigns with each one of these companies. And, um, I don't see that, um, slowing down anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Now I know from chatting with people that work at your company, that people are really important to you. And there's just this value for people like, you know, and I'm going to say as an outsider, like you are a pretty glamorous person. Like you live a pretty glamorous life. Like I follow you on Instagram uh, and we'll link to your Instagram account. It's public. Uh, You are like the amount of flowers that I see on your Instagram. I mean, I'm so jealous. It's just (laughs) flowers constantly. I'm always showing my, my daughter, you know, she's 19. I'm like, look at this, look at all these flowers. This is just amazing. It's gorgeous. Um, I just imagining you're going to sleep, you know, surrounded in flower petals or something, you know, I don't know how your husband would like that, but um, so you are pretty glamorous person. And for whatever reason, my own prejudice does not connect that with a deep love, care and affection for people. But I sense that that's in you. Like there's a deep love for the people in your business. Like, is that true? How does that play out on a day to day? Where did that come from within you? Talk to me about this. Yeah. So I think I have to give you some background. It's really interesting. Um, you know, the, the perception that people gain from, from social media. You, I think you follow me on my personal page, which, which has like all, I call it the good stuff. <laughs> you know, you see like the real deal. Um, but, you know, so it's interesting, like it's just what people per- perceive. So what you're seeing is, is, you know, what you think is like a, a glamorous life. But, you know, I, I did not grow up that way um, at all. Uh, my mom was, was in a very uh, um, abusive relationship uh, when she had me. And so we, we lived in uh, Paris at the time. And so my only memory of my father is him, um, you know, beating her. Like I had the, mm. the, the door just cracked open. I think it was two at the time or something wow. like that. And so I remember him just really, it was, it was pretty excessive. So mm. I remember closing the door and, and uh, scotch taping the door. Cause that was what I felt was a defense mm. mechanism. So um, you know, she was really, really brave. And, um, you know, we, we kind of left like in the middle, she fled. Um, and we left in the middle of the night. It was me, my mom and my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had very, very little money, um, to go off of to support three of us. And, and so we went from France to Switzerland and then Switzerland to Hong Kong, uh, where my grandfather was. And, you know, she ultimately wanted a better, life for me. And I think for a lot of the world, you know, the, the U.S. is is what people perceive to be, you know, the land of opportunity. Right. So she very, very consciously made the decision to, you know, to come to the U.S., you know, again, with, without having very much money, not knowing the language. And so she and my grandmother, when we, when we first got here, we lived in like the ghetto. Mm. We had drive-by shootings on we had we were involved in home invasion robberies ourselves, um, and so you know I, I remember she would leave at like three or four in the morning to go work at a bakery, and after the bakery she would go work at a preschool, and then after the preschool she would go work at a restaurant, 
And so that's what she, that's what she did to, to, to get by. And my, my grandmother would, would sew items like piecemeal. So, you know, every belt that she, she sewed was, you know, 25 cents or whatever. And I, I was, I, I would, you know, have to help with the process where, you know, making sure the corners of the belt were, were um, really sharp and crisp. And I would use like a little, um, um, a chopstick to make sure that those corners were, were, mm-hmm. were sharp. And so it was really, um, it, it was survival, you know, and we, and she really wanted to make sure that I had every opportunity to, to succeed. And so part of, part of what really drives me is, is not letting her, my mom's efforts, my grandma's efforts really go unnoticed. You know, I, I really need to, to, to recognize the sacrifices that she's made both like personally, professionally mm-hmm. to, to allow me just the opportunity to get an education or to have these opportunities. And, and so I think that's what really, really um, pushed me at, at a young age and still continues to, to, to push me now. So, um, so that's where, where it kind of, you know, started. And I think that's where I, I get a lot of my um, empathize with people. I really, you know, I really want to see the best in people. And I really, you know, for, for people that around me and also my team, I want to make sure that they feel like family, they're treated like family, and we give them every opportunity to succeed um, mm-hmm. in the company and in their, you know, in their personal lives as well. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I know this is an odd thing to say, but your grandmother is absolutely adorable. Uh, the photos that you post of her, she's she's so cute she's she's 90 and she has like the highest cheekbones and like you know she her skin is so taut and like um and she's you know i I think her secret is she's always eaten really fresh food Mm -hmm. so you know vegetables are are fresh prepared that day you know Mm -hmm. um fish is fresh prepared that day so there must be some secret sauce to what what she has, has done to to um, you know stay as youthful as she is. I know you're involved in an organization called Gen Next. Um, it's for business leaders, um, but it's it's really focused on making an impact in the world. One, why did you join this organization, and how has it impacted your own life? It's really interesting. Um, I always told myself, if and when I had the opportunity to give back, I would. Um, when I was was um, growing up, you know, I I was given all these opportunities that we would not have been able to um, pay for. So, uh, for example, there was a summer program where Southern California Edison had sent a group of um, high school students to uh, a business program at USC for an entire summer, um, and that's where this, this is the junior year leading into senior year of high school. And so that really gave me like this, this even more of like, um, sorry, that this is seventh grade going to eighth grade. It gave me a really a drive for, for, for business and really understanding it a bit more. Um, you know, there were all of these other corporations or people that had, um, given me other opportunities like scholarships or other programs, reading programs, summer camps, um, cheerleading camps, you name it. I, I would not have been able to have all of the experiences and all of the uh, supplemental learning that I had without the generosity of all of these different people or organizations. So mm. um, I recognize that. 
And, you know, my mom has always been very philanthropic as well. Like she is not, uh, she was not a high wage earner by any means, but I, I always saw her giving back um, wherever she could and for whatever amount she could give back um, for. So, so I think that was kind of the foundation of, of where, where I wanted to give back. And so Gen Next um, is, is that perfect combination of where you have these wonderful individuals and, and, and they're, they're all, they are all tremendous business leaders and tremendously successful um, in their own rights. But, you know, we're really brought together because we want to make the world a better place um, today and in the future and in whatever, whatever ways we can, you know, battling sex trafficking, um, education reform, um, you know, um, counterterrorism, you, you name it. it you know, the, the group is tackling things at a really um, ground level to the point where, um, you know, the, 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 well, to the point where the, the general audience wouldn't know it and they, mm-hmm. they will never know it because there are groups like Gen Next that are fighting, um, on everyone's behalf to make, to, to maintain the standards of, 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 you know, liberty, freedom, all of those things that we are able to enjoy today. I, I was talking to another member and, um, we were just so proud to to be a part of this group because it, it is a, a fee based membership, and um, he, he had a very similar background to 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 what I had. And I said, "Wow, you know, the, the fact that we have the opportunity to to participate and to make a difference at this level, um, especially coming from our backgrounds, was was just so um, so humbling." And you know, and and as we go through and and do you know community service or, or even bigger things beyond just community service? It, it really is wonderful to see the impact that it has um, for you know the the country, our community at large. Mm-hmm. That is, it is amazing what the organization is doing, and we'll make sure to link to uh, Gen X in the show notes as well. Uh, people want to purchase makeup. Best URL is manakadarcosmetics.com. Is that correct? That's correct. Great. And and then if they want to follow us on social, it's Mana Kadar Beauty on Instagram. And then if you're interested in following me on social for the good media stuff, it's um, Anna with an M. Oh, you definitely want to follow Anna with an M. <laughs> we will make sure that, especially if you like flowers and baby showers and birthday parties with lots of flowers, that's the place to go. Because <laughs> it's absolutely pretty amazing. Um, Mana so fun to meet you and hear your story. Your story is so inspiring and amazing. And just, um, you know, I think that, that uh, we underestimate what we can accomplish as human beings. And we even underestimate what young people can accomplish, even as a 15, 16 year old, you know, as you demonstrated. So uh, thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for having me. I, I, I loved being on your show. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mana. And you can check out all the links to her social media in our show notes by either swiping up on your phone right now or checking out our show notes on our website at insporising.com. Now, if you know a young person who has the dream of building their own business, tell them to listen to this episode on Inspiration Rising. Search Inspiration Rising on your favorite podcast app. It's probably Apple or Google Podcast on your smartphone 
Or better yet, just take a screenshot of this episode on your phone and text it to them. All right, until next time, have a great week.